There's a recent poll of about 1,200 adults that showed that 76% of adults believe that it's okay to lie sometimes. How about that? Well, that explains why the average woman lies three times a day and the average man lies six times a day. It's because we believe, you know what, if the occasion calls for it, it's okay to tell a little white lie. If you're new with us here today, we're in a series called The Lies That We Tell. This is week number two to that series. I want to welcome all of our campuses here right now. Can we give it up for all of our locations? Thanks for joining us online, all across the country, and even across the world. Week number two of this series, The Lies That We Tell. Lying, we all tend to do it. Why would we do a series on lying? Two quick reasons. If you were here last week, super quick review. God hates lying because of its destructive forces inside of a family, a church, a marriage, an organization, a society. Without truth, there's no trust. Without trust, there's no unity. A family cannot stay together, and so God hates it. Proverbs 12, 22, he abhors lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. And then the second reason we would do a series on lying is because the Bible says that it's satanic. Jesus said it. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he said that lying comes from the devil, that he is the father of lies. So anytime the Bible says that God hates something and that something is demonic, we should probably, as people of faith, avoid that issue. Yes, do you agree with this? And so we got to figure out how to do that. So last week we talked about staying away from lying to each other. We said if we're going to stop lying to each other, we got to remember that we're part of a body. And if the body's going to work together well, there must be trust. And if there's going to be trust, there must be truth. And so how do we do that? We practice the golden rule. We do to others as we wish they would do to us, right? We need the truth in order to make good decisions about reality. And then also we have to let go of control because every single time we lie to somebody else, we're trying to control the situation. And so that was a quick sum up of last week. If you miss it, you can go back and watch that. Uh, Somebody said uh, last night to me, said, man, thank you so much for the sermon last week. I work for a liar. I sent him the link. So if I gave you good content last week and you want to use it to help somebody else, you have permission to send them the link. I thought that was, that was clever. So uh, today we're talking about the lies that we tell God, the lies that we tell God. You know, it's not normal to think about, you know, do I lie to God and am I lying to God and what does that really mean? And we got to get into what that actually means. And, and there's a great story in the book of Acts chapter 5 that actually reveals to us what it means to lie to God. And it's uh, Acts chapter 5. And I want to give you a little context of what's going on in the beginning chapters of the book of Acts. It's the launch of the church. The, church is get, the first church is getting up off the ground. It's being birthed. It's the origin story. You know, Peter preaches this incredible message and 3,000 people get saved. In Acts chapter 2, all the Christians are getting together. They're, they're breaking bread. They're, they're, they're praying together. They're having fellowship. They're, they're, they're applying the, the doctrines of, of the, the apostles. And, and it's just this exciting time of momentum and excitement. And this new movement is, is, is happening. And everyone's just kind of focused and passionate. And there's also this spirit of generosity in the, in the early church that, that the the people who had extra were, were giving their extra to the people who were poor so that no one was in need. In fact, some people who had property were selling their property and then taking the profit from the sale and bringing it to the church and kind of spreading out the wealth so that everybody had enough. 
And so that's how the book of Acts chapter four ends. This guy named Barnabas sells a piece of property, brings the prophet into the church, and, they, and they, everybody shares the wealth. In Acts chapter five, uh, we see this story about uh, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they're part of this early movement. Things are exploding. Things are exciting. People are coming to Christ. They're growing in Christ. They're getting together in small groups. They're sharing meals. There's this generosity. So they decide that they're going to jump on board and sell a piece of property and take some of the money or take all of the money, we'll figure out that in just a second, and give it to Peter and give it to the apostles to share in the church. So that's what they do. They sell a piece of property. The only problem is, unlike Barnabas, they tell Peter and the apostles that they're giving 100% of the profit, just like Barnabas did, to the church. One little problem with that issue, that, that, that actually didn't happen. They held back some of the money for themselves, but they told Peter that it was that they gave all of the money. So Acts chapter five, verse three, that's where we pick up the story. Then Peter said to Ananias, why have you let, say it with me, Satan, why have you let the devil, why have you let Lucifer fill your heart? Why have you let him sliver into your, into your soul and, and tempt you to lie to us about how much money you gave to the church? Why have you let him fill your heart? You lied to who? To the Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money for yourself. Peter, Peter, uh, Ananias says to, Peter says to Ananias, in the next slide, the property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wish. Like nobody was pressuring you. I didn't preach a sermon. Like nobody gave this, this, this commandment, if you have property and you're rich, go sell it and give it to the church. So this was, this was your prerogative. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give or not to give. Why have you done this, Peter says? How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. You were lying to who? To God. How interesting. I still don't really know what that means. I mean, I'm thinking this through like, okay, you didn't lie to us, you lied to God, what does that mean? And, and then the story gets even a little bit stranger. Right after Peter says this to Ananias, and some of you know the story, how many of you read Acts chapter five before you've read this story? Something odd happens, something like out of the blue or something just out of the ordinary happens. Ananias drops dead, just right there just falls out headlong. Just, and then they drag out his body and they wrap him up and they bury him. It's like, oh my gosh, what in the world? Three hours later, Sapphira comes in from her shopping trip and Peter says to her, hey, is this the full amount? I made that part up about shopping. Hey, Pete, hey uh, 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 Sapphira, is this the amount that, that you got from the sale? And, and, and she says, yeah, that's the amount. And she drops dead right there. They drag her body out and they wrap her up and they, they bury her. And then verse 11, this is what we read. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what happened. I would think so, <laughs> don't you? I mean, if right now somebody just dies in the service because we found out they were doing something wrong. We, we, it, in this community, people are like, whoa, it's crazy. And it was crazy. Two things are, are somewhat confusing about, about the situation. Like, what does it mean to lie to God? And why was the judgment so harsh for lying to the Holy Spirit? Let me, let me kind of take a crack at this. And normally when I read this passage of scripture in my daily Bible reading, I just kind of say, okay, that was interesting. Let's move on to see what's in chapter six. <laughs> uh, but I, I want to try to figure this out together. 
what, what does it mean to lie to the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to lie to God? Well, if you think about it, the New Testament teaches something very different from the Old Testament in this sense. In the Old Testament, God's spirit would literally dwell inside of buildings. They were called temples back then. And, and his spirit would fill the temple. And in the New Testament, it's different. The spirit of God doesn't fill buildings anymore. The church is not a building. What does the spirit of God fill? The spirit of God fills what? Who? Individual people. And the church is not a building. The church is a group of people and God dwells inside of each person. So if someone steps into spiritual community and they lie to someone in the church, a person who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that is the same thing as lying to God. And your notes, I wrote it like this. When someone lies to the con in the context of their small group or their spiritual community or the church, it is equivalent to lying to God. Jesus said it like this, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. The apostle Paul said it like this, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells where? Inside of you. Who told Peter that Ananias only gave half the money? Was it Ananias' real estate agent? Hey, Pete, just want to let you know. <laughs> I know they told you that they gave it all, but they only gave half. Like, yeah, who, like, who said? You know who told Peter? It was the Holy Spirit because he's present. And so when we lie in the context of spiritual community, it's the same thing as lying to God. So here's a quick thought for you. The next time you don't feel like going to small group, don't tell your small group leader that you're sick. <laughs> you might die. I just... <laughs> I'm half joking, okay? <laughs> no, I, no I'm, I'm thankful God doesn't treat us the way that he treated them back then. Um, but that's what it means to lie to God. It means that you know, you're lying to somebody in the context of spiritual community. But still, that doesn't explain why the judgment was so harsh. Why did they both have to die? Let me give a little context for that. Try to help here a little bit. It seems very, very harsh. In fact, oftentimes when I read this passage, I would, I would think, man, if I were part of the group at that point, I'd have said, hey guys, uh, I don't think I can be part of this group anymore. If you, if you lie, you die is sort of a mantra. I'm not, I'm not down for that, okay? Because I have an issue with lying too. So I'd like to keep my life and, and I'm not gonna be part of the church. But, but that's, not, that's not the right attitude. So forgive me, Lord. Um, why was the judgment so harsh? Well, think about it. This is the birth of the church. The beginning of an organization that, that holds within it the message of redemption. The message, the, the, the only message of, that can change a human heart. This is the organization that is stewarding the most important message in the world. And it's the inception, it's the birth, it's the, it's the origin story of the church. And it's pure and it's innocent and there's no sin and it hasn't been defiled and it's just starting. It's a baby organization. And all of a sudden Satan jumps into the middle of it right into Ananias' heart and tempts him and he gives in. And all of a sudden there's a threat to this perfect, innocent, holy church. And God wants to stamp it out just like that. He wants to nip it in the bud. And, and boy, did they get the message. Everyone in the church, verse 11 tells us, was gripped with fear. And everyone outside of the church in the neighborhood was gripped with fear. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about this story from Acts chapter five. How when you, there's lying and deception in the spiritual community, God, it's serious business. Why? Because his church is stewarding the most important message in the world. 
And God just wants to say, hey, we're not gonna play like that. It's not gonna go down like that. I gave my very son to start this organization, to steward this message of reconciliation, and we're not gonna play games like this. Does that make sense? Now, I also think there's something more. I don't think it was just lying. I think there was something more involved that triggered this harsh judgment. You see, as I thought about the story and I studied it out, I thought, man, why would they go, why would Ananias and Sapphira go through all the trouble selling this property and then, and then lying to Peter about it? Like, why would he do that? Why would they do that? And I got to thinking about what happened at the end of chapter four of Acts and how Barnabas sold a piece of property, gave the prophet, and, and he was kind of noticed inside the church as like a generous guy. And I got to thinking, well, maybe, maybe what happened was Ananias and Sapphira were like, man, we should, we should do the same thing because we would like to be noticed in the church and we would like to be seen as players in the church. We would like to be, you know, recognized as generous people in the church. So let's do this. Let's sell property and let's give the money, but let's not give all of it because after all, we got to pay for the kids' college education and there's insurance and there's mortgages to pay and bills to pay and, and all that stuff. But at least... If we tell them we gave all the money, everyone in the church will think, whoa, you guys are totally committed. You're insanely generous. And maybe, maybe that'll get us a seat at the table with Peter and the other apostles and be able to go to lunch together and hang out together because, because of our gift. And so really what was going on, I believe, was that Ananias and Sapphira were faking it. They were trying to appear more generous than they actually were. I believe their real sin was the sin of hypocrisy. And God and Jesus, they, they've got a thing about hypocrisy. <laughs> it's not just deception. I mean, hypocrisy is deliberate deception, don't get me wrong. But, but it's, it's, it's almost like a, a, a lying on steroids. It's like lying, taken to the next level. It's, it's intentional pretending. It's trying to appear to be something that you're not. It's, the, the word actually means to put a mask on or to play act, to pretend to be. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira were really doing. They were trying to pretend to be more generous than they actually were. It wasn't that they weren't generous. They gave a portion of the money to the church it wasn't that their heart wasn't in the right place. It just wasn't, they weren't as generous as they were making it to be, hypocrisy. I was thinking about what the conversation must have been like when Ananias died. So he's going along and, and this church is blowing up and people are coming to Christ and growing in Christ and all kinds of awesome things are happening and they give their gift to Peter and they're so excited and they're expecting to get an invitation to lunch and instead, he's dead. And, he, and suddenly he's in the presence of God the Father and Jesus and the Spirit and he's sitting and now there's a conversation. What does that conversation sound like? I mean, what does the Father say to Ananias? Maybe it was something like this. Hey, hey bud, listen, I, I, know, I, know that, I know you weren't expecting that. I know you're in your 40s and you wanted to hang with the grandkids, you know, when you got, but, but here's the deal. Listen, I sent my son to earth my very prized possession. And I allowed him to be crucified and humiliated to save the world. My son, when he came to this earth, he took on the form of a servant. 
You understand Ananias? He didn't consider equality with me something to be leveraged for his own advantage. He didn't, he didn't want to make a name for himself. He didn't leverage his powers. He didn't take advantage of his godness. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He allowed them to be cruci- he allowed himself to be crucified to a cross. My son was the servant of all servants. He lived for the benefit of others. He loved others. And you, Ananias, you and your wife concocted this little plan inside this church that is supposed to be focused on my my son, the ultimate servant. You have concocted a plan, Ananias and Sapphira, to leverage a lie so that you can be seen as generous, so that you can be elevated in the church, so that you can be seen as a player in the church. I couldn't let it happen. And that's why you're here. Now, I don't know if the conversation went like that or not. (laughs) But it certainly makes sense. Do you agree, yes or no? I'm not going to let anyone leverage the church for their own benefit. The church is about my son, Jesus Christ, and the message that he carries. Now, some of you may be hearing that story and like, man, that's a tough story. It is a tough story. And you might be thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not Ananias and Sapphira. It sucks to be them, right? I'm, like, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in their situation. Are you not? Are you not in their situation? Am I not in their situation? Have you not lied to God? Have you not play acted? Have you not pretended to be something that you're not? Have I not pretended to be something that I'm, I'm really not? Or more of something that I really am? Let's get honest with each other. We've all done it. We've all been there. Can I say some hard things to you really quick in love? Can I do that? Yes or no? Yes? Do we love each other here? Do you know I love you? I'm saying this for your benefit. This is true, not for all of you, but for some of you. And you know who you are because the Holy Spirit's gonna take these words and prick your heart. But for some of you, your very presence here is a play. Your physical presence here today is a show. It's a sham. It's a lie. You're here to impress somebody, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, a, a spouse. Uh, you want, maybe it's a business decision for you. If I, if I physically show up to a manual, people in the community will know that I'm spiritual and it's good for business. Lies, lies, lies. And you know who you are. And here's what I want to say to you, if that's you today, if your presence today here is a lie. I'm glad you're here. I'd rather you be here than not here. I'm not trying to chase you out. I'm just trying to call a spade a spade. (laughs) We do this. We all do it. We do it all the time. We try to appear to be something that we're not. Some of us do it with language. You know, we'll go out, whether we're students at school or whatever, or at work, you know, people have filthy language. And so we jump in and we have filthy language. We drop F-bombs. But when we come to church, we stop dropping F-bombs for an hour it's like, well, you know, we're in church, so we won't cuss in church. And, and people do this to me all the time. Like when they see me roll up on a conversation, wherever I'm at Starbucks or at the gym or wherever, they'll stop. Oh, shh. <laughs> Pastor D's here. Clean it up. I'm like, dude, that's a show. You're like, just be who you are. You know, if that's who you are, that's who you are. I'm not saying it's okay, but be who you, be who you are. 
I so appreciated a conversation I had with somebody after a funeral I did where I said some things that were meaningful and helpful to, to a family that lost, lost their loved one. And um, after this, the funeral was over, this gentleman came up to me and he, he grabbed me and he pulled me close to, to himself and he whispered in my ear. And I can't say what he actually said, but I'll say enough to know so you can know what he said. He said this, he said, I am so glad that God put bad A mother effers like you on this planet. Now, I think he was complimenting me, but I just said, thank you. Here's, what I, here's why I appreciate it, although I did not condone or, or I don't speak that way in my home or I don't encourage Christ followers to use those types of words, but I appreciated the fact that he didn't clean it up because he was talking to me. He was, that's the way he talked. And again, I'm not condoning it or saying it's okay. But for some of us, we just like to play. We just like to act in certain scenarios to try to, to, try to appear to be something that we're not. For some of us, it's during the worship here, we, we don't sing because it's not cool. Like I watch some of you dudes out there, it's like you stand there like this during worship. Because it's, I don't know, not cool to sing or worship God or or maybe you think it's feminine. I don't know what, what, what's going on, you know. And I know there's some of you out there, you would love to sing, but what would it look like to other people? You might look like a fool, you know. You might look like one of those crazy Christians if you raised your hands or sang to the top of your lungs. So, so you just kind of, you know. And it's, it's just like we, we do this sort of stuff. And it's, you know, we're sitting in small group and, 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 and the small group leader's going around, how's, how's things going, how's your marriage? And you know your marriage sucks, but you're like, it's fine. <laughs> like, we're good. It's like, you're lying. You are lying through your teeth to the spiritual community. Like, you're not doing well, but you won't say the truth, you know? Like, this, we do this stuff all the time. One, one of my, one of my uh, least uh, favorite qualities about myself and, and I'm working on this, I'm working on this. This is just me telling you the truth about the way it is. I've been in a lot of small groups and I've been in a lot of scenarios where as a pastor, a question has been asked me and I know the book, of the, I know the Bible, I know what it says in James, I know what it says in 1 Corinthians, I know what it says in Revelation, I read it all the time, I study it. And sometimes I will start talking in the context of spiritual community and this is to my shame. This is absolutely to my shame to put somebody in their place and correct them and let them know I, I'm right. Or even worse, I'll start talking about this verse or that verse or what the Bible says so that everyone in the group will say, wow, he's really smart when it comes to the Bible. And I will leverage my spiritual knowledge to elevate myself. And that is exactly what Ananias and Sapphira were thinking. If, we, if, the, if the apostles think that we gave 100% of the profit to the church, then, then they will think we are super generous and we might get like a seat at the table. And so you know what I've been doing? Just because I'm, I'm, I'm working on this and I'm like, oh, it's so awful. I've just been working on being quiet. I actually had somebody in my small group, recent small group that I was in say, you know, when I talk, I would just like to be able to share how I feel without you correcting me. <laughs> it's like, 
that's not right in me. We all struggle with this, right? And hypocrisy is a, is a, is a big thing. And, and here's the thing about it. In Psalm 44, it's like, it says this. He knows the secrets of every heart. Like, like there's no use pretending to be something that you're not because he sees it. Like, it's hypocrisy. And Jesus had some of the harshest things to say about hypocrisy. Listen to one example in Matthew 23. He says this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? He calls them, say it with me, hypocrites. You play actors, you pretenders, trying to be something that you're not. Listen to the consequences and why, why hypocrisy angers God so much. But you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces. He says, you yourselves, you don't go in yourself and you don't let others in either. What does that mean? Here's, let, me, let, me, let me give you my best shot at this. Hypocrisy, in your notes, I wrote it like this. Your hypocrisy stops you from experiencing abundant life and it stops others from experiencing it. See, if, you, if you're just gonna fake it, if you're gonna try to pretend to be something that you're not, if you're gonna try to lie, God can't work with that. He has to work with an honest person. Honesty and authenticity opens up the door for you to experience joy and peace and transformation and healing. But if you're going to fake it, you don't enter in. And then others will see your hypocrisy and they know you're not the real deal. They know the real you. And they're like, look, see, that's why I don't like Christianity. I don't like Christianity. And I don't like Christians. In fact, some of you here today, you're watching or wherever the campus you're at, you're a non-believer because of this very reason. Because of the hypocrisy of believers. That's the cost of hypocrisy. You block the kingdom for others to enter in. Brendan Manning said it best. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism, there's a lot of of causes of atheism, the problem of evil, why bad things happen to people, all kinds of stuff. But he says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny them by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So the gospel that unbelievers are seeing lived out in our lives is is hypocrisy. We're saying one thing and we're doing another and they're saying, see, that's why I don't go to church. That's why I don't believe. I can't buy into that system. Do you see the cost of hypocrisy? Do you see the cost of lying and deception? And so God brings swift judgment to it. Now, all that being said, you know, we have to figure out, like, how do we stop lying to God? Okay, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to lead people astray. I don't want to block myself from entering the kingdom. I don't want to block others from entering into the kingdom. How do I stop lying to God? Well, the answer is simple, but not easy to live out. The answer is simple, but difficult. Let me give it to you. We have to remember what this is about and who this is about. Another way to say it would be, we have to remember this is about Jesus and his mission. This is about Jesus and and his mission. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter three, now all glory, all focus, all attention, all worship, that's what the word glory means, needs to go to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ever ask or think. Now, what that means is that God's gonna do some amazing things through us. But the attention is not going to be on Ananias and Sapphira. The attention is not going to be on the preacher. 
The attention is not going to be on you in the church. The attention and the glory is going to go to God, even though he's doing mighty things through his people. Listen to what he says in verse 21. Glory to him in the what? Church. In the church. Now, the church is not a building. The church is a body of believers. Attention, worship, glory needs to go to God in the church and to Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Paul said it perfectly. This is about God. This is about Jesus. Now, when you remember what the church is all about, and, and it's about Christ, it's about glorifying him, it's about the mission of seeing people come to Christ and grow in Christ, then you can take your proper place, and I can take my proper place in the mission, in the organization, which is underneath Jesus Christ. And the attention is now not on me or on you, the attention is on him. Last week, we got some feedback from a first-time guest who I heard through somebody else. They said, man, I, I cannot believe that your pastor just got up and told everybody that he told a bold-faced lie in Starbucks. How is it that he can do that? The pastor from my old church would never have gotten up on stage and admitted that he sinned. I think she was complimenting us. <laughs> and here's my answer to that. It's not about me. I'm not trying to get anyone to follow me. I know my appropriate place. This is about Jesus. I'm an imperfect, sinful man encouraging you to join me in following the Messiah, the perfect one, the Savior, the one who's able to redeem us, cleanse us, forgive us, put us back together. That's that's how I can get up and say, man, I blew it this week, guys. Sorry. I lost my temper with my kids or choked somebody in the basketball court. <laughs> I got a problem with that sometimes. I do. So I screw, but I screw it up. But we're, but we're all on this journey together. Imperfect warts and all, sins and all, trying, stumbling, trying to follow the Savior. In fact, I've heard this many, many times uh, feedback from, from, from people who are, who are just visiting our church or, or guests at our church. And they say, you know what? I, I really feel uh, like at home because the pastor doesn't preach down at us. I feel like he's talking to us. Well, of course. Like, I wouldn't, how could it be any other way? Like, we're, we're all like on the journey together stumbling and striving and trying to change that's the truth and what that does is that creates an environment of authenticity and and I'm telling you more than anything else and this was this was my heart when I was 17 I just want to know what's real like can you please put somebody in front of me that's real something that's real I'm so tired of manipulation and deception and some pretending and lies well guess what if you and I just live authentically and we're honest and we stop all the pretense and the hypocrisy and the faking and the show and all that stuff, people will say, man, I like being part of this church called Emmanuel. It's authentic, it's real. Imperfect people trying to follow the Savior. We've grown from 900 people to over 5,000 people every single weekend. That's not a coincidence. No one can take credit for that. Like, oh, we're such an awesome church. Look what we've done. It's like, no, what we've done is we've said, hey, let's follow Jesus together. All of us together, sinful, broken people, let's just work together. And, and then people are drawn into that. And guess what? We're just getting started. 
We're just getting started. What would happen if all of us had that mentality? Not settling for an anger problem. I, I'm never going to suggest that. You, like I have, if I have an anger problem, I'm not gonna, okay with that. If I have a language problem, I'm not okay with that. Like, but I want to be honest about it and then get help to move through it. That's the difference. See, hypocrisy is saying, I don't have an anger problem. And then going out and losing my temper on the basketball court. That's the hypocrisy. That's what repulses people. But if I say I have an anger problem and I'm really trying to work on it, so before this game gets started, just know that. <laughs> just know that. That's being honest. That's not being a hypocrite. That's just saying I have an issue I have a struggle, will you help me to work through it? That's very different from hypocrisy. Let me ask you a question today that I believe if all of us sincerely answered, we would take a huge step forward, not in attendance, but in personal Christ-like transformation. Have you ever, uh, I'm sorry, how have you been lying to God? Just specifically, God, where have I been play-acting where have I been trying to appear to be something that's really not true about myself? Expose it. Help me to, to, to drop the hypocrisy, to drop the illusion, the pretending. Let me be honest. I can be honest. You can be honest about where you are when the focus is on Jesus. This is all about him. I, we become less concerned about what people think about us when, when, we, when we, come, we become more concerned about who Jesus is. He's transforming me, but this is where I'm currently at. Where have you been lying to God? I challenge you this week to answer that question in your private time with Jesus, your devotional life, and with your small group. Now, as we wrap up today, this is about Jesus. This is about his mission. Perhaps, perhaps the reason you have put off becoming a Christian is because of the hypocrisy of Christians. Maybe today, maybe today is the day that you, you put all that aside. Maybe today is the day where you're able to focus on Jesus. The fact that he died on the cross for your sins. A few moments ago, I, I quoted a passage from Philippians. He didn't, he didn't consider equality with God something to be leveraged for his own benefit. Instead, he became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus Christ laid down his life on a cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins, so that you can enter into the kingdom of God and be reconciled to God, so that you can experience grace and mercy and joy and peace and life and contentment, life the way it was supposed to be lived. He did all of that for you. Have you responded to that grace? Have you asked him to wash away your sins and to forgive you? If you haven't, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. Block out the hypocrisy of Christians and block all those things in your mind and focus in on Jesus and the mission. And if you'd like to step into a relationship with Christ today, I'm gonna to say a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own and enter into the kingdom. Say this to him right now, if you feel led to. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. You were equal to God, but yet you became a servant. You did what I needed most. You provided what I needed most, and that is forgiveness and grace. Would you please wash me of my sin, cleanse me, and make me your child by faith. I trust in you. And from this day forward, teach me to love you 
to honor you, to focus on you, to let go of the hypocrisy, the pretending, the games, and be authentic. Teach me to love you and to trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory today across all of our campuses and locations? Wherever you are today, whatever campus, whatever location, if you trusted Christ today, we would love to put a new believer's Bible in your hands. On the way out, grab one of these as a free gift from us to you. Hey, next week, really quick before you leave, we are doing week number three of this series, The Lies That We Tell, and it is gonna be powerful, it is gonna be uncomfortable, but it is gonna be worth it. We're gonna be talking about the lies we tell ourselves. We do our best lying to ourselves. You guys know that, right? And so we're gonna unpack that. What does that mean? How do we stop lying to ourselves? You're not gonna to wanna to miss this. Bring your friends. We'll see you next week. God bless you guys.